Joseph Finley was a wealthy young entrepreneur whose money was as old as the family name. His love for science, biology, and all things nature was evident before the boy could even spell biology. And it came as no surprise that the reception of his graduation, he announced to his family and friends that he would be studying veterinary and medicine with a special focus on animal groups, specifically from the grasslands of the Kenyan savannah. It seemed like such an odd interest for a boy that was raised in the Midwest in the early 1900s, but the affluence of his family exposed him to a variety of information and opportunity. And as a kid, he had sat wide-eyed and open-eared in the corner as his parents had entertained guests from all over the world, and he would listen to their stories and dream. But there was one conversation that always kept him up staring at the ceiling late at night long after he should have been asleep. And it was those stories of those who had been to the Kenyan savannas. Sometimes he believed if he had just opened his window and looked out at night, he could actually see with his own eyes a lion crouched, about ready to pounce. As a boy, his dreams were as close as Joseph ever got to actually seeing a lion. But now things were different. He was Dr. Finley now when he had time and he had money and he had connections to see firsthand the things that he had only studied about. After numerous visits, a litany of degrees, and several years of practice, the man became somewhat of an authority on lions, and people would come from all over the world to hear him lecture about the majestic beast. And as he spoke, some say that you could feel the steely eyes of a lion piercing your back. Others would say as he talked about the roar that your hair would stand on end. Yet in all of this, Dr. Finley still felt disconnected from the animal that he loved so much and knew so much about. He decided what better way to truly understand something than to live with it. And it was decided that moving to Kenya was not an option for him, so he decided that he's going to move Kenya and her lions to Kansas. He spent years and thousands of dollars recreating the grasslands of Kenya and southern Kansas. Great care had been taken to completely recreate the lion's natural habitat. And finally, it was time. The only thing that was lacking now was to fill the thousand-acre fenced range with lions. It was then that Dr. Finley felt like he could truly connect with an animal that he so deeply loved. He returned to Kenya, and he hired Amar, a a very well-known guide, to find the very best of lions. They spent days to finally find the perfect pride and when they found exactly what they were looking for they set a trap and it wasn't long before Amar had made good on his promise to capture the very best line that he could and it was decided that Dr. Finley would return home to America to begin to make preparations for the lion's arrival and Amar would sail with the lion and escort the lion back to the U.S. After securing the lion in the cage the lion was placed on a cargo ship and began the long journey to the United States. It took several months, and finally, the lion arrived in the port of New Orleans. After several more weeks on the train, they rolled into Kansas, and as the rail workers began to secure the, the cage onto a large trailer, Dr. Finley turned to Amar and said, Tell me about the trip. Amar looked at him, and he said, Well, Dr. Finley, the first two days were quite scary. They were by far the worst. I began to wonder if the cage was going to hold the beast. He would roar and he would hiss as we began to to bring his food. And he began to rip the inside braces away. And I, I began to be afraid that he was going to break loose and he was going to kill us all. But after the first week, the roaring stopped. He no longer tried to attack when we brought his food. He just paced. In fact, for the past several weeks, that's all he's done. He'll pace from one end of the cage, he will turn, and then pace back. Dr. Finley, for the past two months, all the lion has done is just pace. Dr. Finley said, very good, Amar. The, the cage has probably cramped him, and let's get him home so he can stretch his legs and so he can roam. So he can roam. I'm sure he's ready to be out of the confines of the cage. So they headed on home, and... When they got there, a large crowd had gathered to welcome the lion to his new home. There was news media from everywhere and people from everywhere to document Dr. Finley's arrival. 
The camera's flashing in the crowd awaiting in, in silent anticipation. Dr. Finley opened the cage and stepped back. But nothing happened. The lion just paced. Amar got sticks and began to poke them through the cage to prod the lion to get him to run outside the cage, but nothing happened. The lion just paced. Finally, some workers came and began to disassemble the cage from around the lion, but nothing happened. He just paced. The disappointment was tangible when it became evident that the lion had become conditioned to the cage. For days, they tried to coax the lion to do more than pace. They would lead him to another part of the thousand-acre range, but all he would do was just take 12 paces to the right. He would turn and take 12 paces back to the left. There were no steely eyes that were piercing through to your soul. There was no hair-raising roar. There was just a silent lion who would make 12 paces, turn, and pace again. The time in the cage had conditioned the lion that all he could do now was just take 12 paces and turn and pace back. It didn't matter that there was 1,000 acres that was waiting to be conquered. It didn't matter that Dr. Finley had placed antelopes in there long before his arrival and they were fattened and would be easy prey for the lion. It didn't matter that the barriers that had once stolen the lion's roar were long gone. It didn't matter that the whole world referred to him as the king of the jungle, the king of beasts. All that mattered now was the lion's life was reduced to 24 consistent calculated steps. Although the cage that had once controlled him was now gone, the power of the prison now controlled his mind. The lion had forgotten that he was created to conquer. He had forgotten that he was still a lion. How many times do we find ourselves in the same condition? Our prison has conditioned us to forget who we've been created to be. The barriers that had kept us bound for so long are nothing more than just memories of our mind, but we still take just 12 steps and we turn and we walk back. We're so conditioned in our mind that it'll never change. I can never be anything more than what I've just been, but I've come to tell somebody tonight, those things that have had you bound, they're just memories. You're no longer bound by that cave. That prison no longer has any barrier on you. Some of us have lost hope that we'll ever break free of this chain, this prison. It has taken everything from us. The prison has conditioned us to, we no longer remember how to roar. Our fight has left us. You see, Scripture is filled with stories of prison. There's stories of prison all throughout the Bible. The first one we find is, Joseph was promoted from the prison to the palace. A few books later, we find where the earthquake began to open the prison doors, and we, we read in Acts about Peter was, had an angelic encounter while he was in prison. We have a story of John the Baptist that he had his own prison story. And we often talk about John the Baptist's story. And Brother Anthony, we embellish it. We talk about when those disciples got back that John had some miraculous encounter and he was just caught up in rapture and everything got perfect, but that's simply not true. John the Baptist died in prison. John the Baptist died separated, alone, and at the very least recently questioning everything that he had once held true. John the Baptist died in prison. For John the Baptist, there was no promotion after parole. For John the Baptist, there was no earthquake to open the doors. For John the Baptist, there was no angel tapping him on the shoulder saying, Hey, John, get up. The doors are about to open. But the power of the prison had no control over the power of the promise. The power of the prison will make you question everything that you've believed. The power of the prison will make you doubt things that you've always known to be true. The power of the prison will make you question those that are closest to you. It'll make you question their motives. Right, John? Some of you have had those same questions 
I've had those same questions. For John, all that awaited was an executioner's sword. But that executioner's sword didn't change who John was called to be. You see, when Dr. Luke put the pen to the timeline of church history, he chose to write it with a quote from Jesus. In Luke chapter 16, verse 16, but the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. When John showed up, everything changed. You see, we were hopeless without a Messiah and then John showed up. We lived on a merciless law until John showed up. But when John showed up, everything changed. John spent the last few months of his life questioning everything, bound in prison, but that didn't change who John was. The power of the prison did not change the power of the promise. The power of the prison cannot stop the power of the promise. Sure, the power of the prison may have silenced your voice, John, but it can't change who you were created to be. The power of the prison can't stand against the power of one crying in the wilderness, declaring this is the way of the Lord. The power of the prison cannot stop the promise of the kingdom of heaven from coming. The power of the prison cannot change the power of the promise. The power of the prison doesn't change the impact of who you were born to be. You may be in a prison right now, but it doesn't change the impact that your life has already had. Oh, I'm going to get where you're living in a minute. Just hang on. But I can't stand here and promise you that life will get better. I can't promise you that life is going to change. But this much I do know, naked I came and naked I'll leave, but blessed be the name of the Lord forever. We've been patty caked and swaddled long enough. We've bought this lie that when you get Jesus, everything gets perfect. No, it doesn't. Preach ahead, but you may not get out of this prison. You may die right where you're at. I don't know. Though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. It may not get better. I don't know. But God didn't create you. He didn't die on a cross to give you 80 years of bliss down here. He prepared you for something greater than this life alone. Yeah, I hope it'll get better. But if it don't, I'm still holding on to the best thing I've ever found. I can't promise you that you, you, this heartache that you've been carrying around will get better. But you know what, Peter? I've prayed for you, and your faith ain't going anywhere. You're going to have some tough times, Peter, but that don't matter. They're going to beat you, Peter. They're going to crucify you upside down. But you know what's still going to be intact? Your faith is still going to hold on. The prison doesn't change who God has called you to be. How many of you want to be used by God? We've got it in our mind. I'm going to be used by God. This is how it looks. Look at me. Brother Nick, come on. Come up here. God's fixing to use me. You need a healing, right? All right, we're going to Benny Hinn this, okay? You, you know Benny Hinn, right? You, you know how to act. We, of all the people in the church I could have picked, I picked the stiffest one among us. 
I need you to, I need you to embellish this, okay? This is how we have it. God's going to use me. Give him a hand. That's how we have it in our mind that being used by God really looks. Thank you. That's what being, we, we got it in our mind that it's lights and camera and action and being used by God. It's all this glamorous, glorious stuff. Come on, you three that I hollered at a while ago, Brother Richard, Brother, Brother Richard Hunter, Brother Anthony, Brother, Brother Donovan. Where's Brother Richard Hunter? Somebody grab him. Come on, get up here quickly. We, we've got it in our mind that being used by God is something glorious and beautiful. I bumped into Brother Donovan a while ago. That's why you're up here. Come and I told him somebody's going to get hurt tonight, and now he's hiding. Look at that thing. That's nice, right? Take a hold of it. There you go. What can you tell me about that one? It's heavy. It's shiny. It's beautiful, right? Looks good. No blood stains. I mean, there's no, no rust. No Mars on it. It's beautiful. A few minutes ago, it had a, a price tag on it. Looks good. There's a story behind this one. I didn't know this, but it just so, Sister Julia, I'm, I'm glad they forgot the sledgehammer you're supposed to bring me. Brother Anthony pulled this one out of the back of the truck, and he said, hey, do you ever watch Granddaddy working? Yeah. Do you ever watch him beat on anything? Yeah. Well, this is a hammer that he used. So, Brother Anthony... Look at this one. <laughs> it don't look too good. At some point, it probably looked a little bit more like this one. But now it don't look that way. If you were to look real close, you can see that the end of it is all balled up. It's rounded. You, could, you might be able to get five bucks at it at a junkyard. Uh, oh no, Brother Richard said. The face of it's all beat up, but look at this one. It's beautiful. There's not a scratch on it. But I walked in with this one a while ago in my hand. And Brother Richard Hunter, I told him he's going to preach it. That's Sister B's mic, guys. When I walked by with this in my hand, you know what he said to me? Preach it. I said it's well used. We think being used by God looks like this. Come on. That everybody's going to look at us and we're always going to be pretty. But you can take your hammer and sit down, buddy. Because <laughs> that's not what being used by God looks like. If you sign up to be used by God, there's going to be a few marks that you don't even remember where they came from. There's going to be a few dings that you don't know what happened. But you know what? Those marks just mean that the hammer meant something that it was bigger than. It survived whatever it came against. It was bigger than whatever it hit. Because it's still here with marks all over it to tell a story. It's been used. In the words of a very wise man, it's been well used. We want to be used by God. But we want to be used by God. Where's the brightest spot on the stage? I think it's about right here. Oh, wait a minute. This one looks brighter over here. It's shining over here now. We want to find the brightest spot, but that's not what being used by God is all about. Being used by God, you're going to have some prison stories. 
you're going to have some times where you walk 12 paces and the only thing left to do was just turn around and walk 12 more. And when you get to the other end, you find, you know what? There's not anything else that I can do here either. So I might as well just turn around and walk 12 more. There's some power in that prison. There's some marks that that prison's going to leave on your mind. There's some wounds that are on your back that are left in that prison. But don't you let that prison steal your roar. Don't let that prison steal who you were created and called to be. The Mars on that sledgehammer just showed that it was stronger than whatever it came against. Yeah, there's some deep wounds. There's some licks that, that marred the edge of it. But you know what? That sledgehammer was designed to take a beating. It was designed to do that job. You've got some scars on your back. You've got some scars in your mind. But you were created to survive. You were created to conquer. You're more than the power of the prison. There's a power power of a promise that God has given you a long time ago. Yeah, right now you may just be walking 12 paces and hitting another roadblock. But someday, they're going to open that gate. And I refuse to get to an open door and look out beyond and just stop and drop my head and turn and walk the other way. Because we're created to conquer. We are made over conquerors. By what? The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Yep, I've been there. I've been to this spot before. But the last time I was here, I had to turn and walk back. But this time, I see an open door. And I'm going to be loosed in Jesus' name. Mom Beecham, I thought about getting you and Dwayne to sing it tonight. But he didn't promise that the cross wouldn't get heavy. He didn't promise that there wouldn't be hills to climb. But you know what he did promise? That he's going to show up just in time. We've got it in our mind that It's all going to be easy down here. But Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation. Good indication it's coming. Shall distress. Probably count on it being there. Shall persecution. We feel persecuted now because we got to wear a mask to go into Walmart. Y'all pray for our mayor. I hope he never has to make a decision for us to do that, but you want to talk about somebody being persecuted. If he makes that decision, he's going to be persecuted. That's not persecution. Let's go so far as to say not being able to sing in church is probably not even the persecution that Paul's talking about here. I'm thankful that we can still do it here. But that's probably not the persecution that Paul had in mind when he was talking about if if persecution comes. Shall, Shall famine come? Anybody not eat today because you didn't have food? If you did, see, see Sister Melanie, she'll get you something. Shout, shout nakedness. Ain't nobody here naked. Thank God. <laughs> Brother John David probably would have tackled you out front somewhere if you showed up that way. Put some clothes on you. Shout peril, shout, shout sword. 
It's written for, for your sake. We are just living life joyful all day long. It tells us in verse 36, it's written for your sake. Wait a minute now. It's not what I signed up for. Shall we're for your sake we're killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for our beautiful wool and our our peaceful little bag. No. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Paul goes on to say, in all of these things, we're what? We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, it don't matter. It don't matter if that persecution does turn to death. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was written by the man that also wrote Second Corinthians chapter 12 and, and verse 7. He said, There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I, I besought the Lord three times that if he would just take it away. Paul said, I was, there, there was something that happened in my life that I went to God in prayer about. Let's just put it in, our, in the context of our message tonight. I was placed in a prison. And it didn't seem like I was ever getting out of there. And I went to God about it. And I prayed about it. And I sought God three times. I spent specific time praying that God would just relieve me of this. And in verse 9, you want to hear what God told me? This is what he said. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, will I rather glory in my infirmity? Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. We've got it in our mind that when we sign up to live for God, it's just Katie bar the door. We're always going to be running through troops and leaping over walls. Or as one man said, we're going to leap over the troop and run through the wall. We've, we've got it in our mind that it's just all going to be glorious, but that's not the case. Because sometime the power of the prison begins to get a hold of us. But there's something greater than the power of that prison. His grace is sufficient. If I never get out of this prison again, there is coming a day. <laughs> I don't even know the rest of the song, but something about no heartache. It's going to be a lot better over there. We've got short-sighted vision when we think life down here is going to be perfect. It's not. But there's coming a day that those stripes that he took are going to, to heal all sickness. There's not going to be any more tears when we get over yonder. Why do you think Jesus had John recorded this way? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. We don't have it yet. But the whole reason he died was not so you could just float through this life down here and have everything perfect. Yeah, I'd like to wake up some mornings and not be reminded that I'm still just 12 paces and I gotta turn around. And we come here and we, we try to roar and we, we try to get freedom and we scratch at the cage. But at the end of the day, 
with steel, just 12 pieces in turn. We can't get rid of it. But let Paul's words remind you that in, in this cage, his grace is sufficient. Sister Maddie, there's coming a day you're not going to need that wheelchair. There's coming a day that we're not going to be reminded that we're just in a cage. We're, we're no longer in a prison. It may just be 12 paces the rest of my time on earth, but one glorious day we're going to break free. Lest I be misunderstood, I'm not saying that your suffering brings God more glory. It doesn't. Our suffering doesn't make God any bigger, but our prison doesn't make Him any weaker. Our suffering doesn't bring God any more glory, but our prison doesn't diminish him. You see, we like that scripture, Philippians 4 and, and 13. I'm not sure I gave that one to you. There, there you go. I can do all things through Christ, which gives me strength. People will put it on their shoes. They'll, they'll ride it on little things and stick it on their face. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We like that. How many believe you can do all things through Christ that gives me strength? Well, if you believe that, give me and Pop the mic next Sunday and put us in the praise team. If you believe you can do anything you want to do because Christ gives you strength, you've been still sold a bill of goods. You can't do everything through Christ that gives you strength. That's not even what that scripture is talking about. Some of us have trying to do things that we were not created to do while we're just holding on to that scripture trying to force God to somehow push us through into something successful. And we've caused ourselves more frustration than the devil trying to hold on to this scripture. Well, the Bible says I can do all things through Christ and I'm just going to keep pushing. Stop! Paul didn't tell you you can go be a, a brain surgeon if you've you barely passed high school. It's not what Paul's talking about here. If you don't believe me, let's go to scripture. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now that at last your care for me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Paul is, is setting up here that you've helped me, but for some reason you stopped and you started back again, and I, I appreciate that. Let's look now at verse 11. Now, I'm not talking here in, in respect of needing anything because I've, I've learned. I've learned that whatever state I'm in, there to be content. Let's pause for just a second. Whether I'm preaching camp meeting or I'm pacing 12 steps, I've learned I'm going to be content. How many of you saw Pop Beecham in here throwing things and kicking cans across it? Why? Because Pop's learned whether it's a good day or whether it's, oh, he don't have bad days. That's how he says it. Oh, I don't have a bad day. Whether it's good days or not as good days, I've learned to be content. Let's look at verse 12 now. I know both how to be abased. What that means is I know how to be down there. And I know how to abound. What that means is I know how to be up there. I've been both places. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. And here is where we get it. And I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. 
That doesn't mean if you don't study a lick, you sit down and you try to take that algebra test and God's just going to, there it is. It's not how this works. What it means is you may be going through the fight of your life, but in all things, you are more than a conqueror. You may be in the thick of things right now and you may be fighting for your life. Every breath may be a fight right now, but you know what? Paul said, I've been there too. And you know what? Just take a little bit of faith. You can get through this because it's Christ who gives you strength. Stop banging your head against the wall over things you're trying to work out on your own when God never created you to do that or be that anyway. Just go and you know what? God has called me. He's created me. And through him, I'm going to push through this. I am going to be victorious. It may be when the trumpet sounds, but when that trumpet sounds, I'm not going to have to worry about this anymore. I am more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ, which gives me strength. You may be in the fight of things right now. And you may be praying every day, God, just give me a breakthrough. Just give me a breakthrough. How many of you prayed for that breakthrough? Or like the little lady who she said, hey, my daughter is, she, she needs some help. And the Bible says that he didn't even answer her. He, he didn't even stop what he was doing to give her the time of day. And then finally she gets his attention and he says, he, he answers her with an insult. Is it meat to give the, the master's food to dogs? If God called some of us a dog, we would never come to church again. But it doesn't matter where we're at in life. If God never answers us, we've got to make up our mind, you know what? There's more power in the promise than there is power in the prison. I may be in this prison right now, but there's coming a day I'm going to break free of this thing. And when I break free, there's no devil in hell that's going to be able to hold me down. I'm going to shout all over the streets of gold. When I get to heaven... I may be going through something right now and you may never get out of it. I can't promise you you will. But there's coming a day you won't have to worry about it anymore. Some of you have already wrote me off tonight because you think I'm, I'm way out in left field somewhere. But let me just get back to Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19. If in this life only... We have hope in Christ. <laughs> and we'd be of all men most miserable. And we, we've heard that song, if I had hope in this world only. That's not what it says. If I have hope in this life only. God didn't create you. He didn't come here and go through everything he went through on the cross. Just to give you 80 good years, Pop. If we had hope in this life, if it was just 80 years of good bliss and then nothing, Paul says we'd be of all men most miserable. But we have a hope in Christ that when we breathe our last one, that power of that prison that had us bound for so long, it has no power over you any longer. The things that had you bound for so long. When God says enough, that's enough. It may happen tomorrow, I don't know. It may happen before you get out of here tonight. I hope it does. But if it doesn't, where are you going to be? Are you still going to just be stubborn and keep coming back here every Sunday? And God, if you see fit, I'm ready to be out of this prison. But I refuse to allow the prison to silence my roar. The lion was still a lion when he was inside the cage. But the cage had got in his mind. 
The prison has stolen his roar. The prison had convinced him that he was no longer a lion. He could still roar just as loud. He could still put fear in people just as easily inside that cage. But the cage had convinced him it's over. Don't let the prison steal your roar. The prison can't, can't change who you are. You see, John the Baptist questioned everything. But when they chopped his head off, he was more free than any person alive. He was more free than anybody alive. When John the Baptist, when they, when they carried his head in on the charger, and that, that little damsel began to, began to rejoice, John the Baptist was about as free as he could be. Everything had changed. I don't know if God will free you in this world, but this much I do know. His word says there's coming a day that you're going to be free. Let's go now to Jeremiah chapter 33. They be making their way back. <clears throat> Jeremiah 33, we'll start with verse 1. <clears throat> the devil wants to convince you that the word of the Lord can't come to you while you're in prison. But it says here, moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time while he was preaching camp meeting. While he was laying hands and healing the sick, that's when the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. What does scripture say? While I was shut up in the court of prison. While I was bound, not able to be free like I wanted to be free. God began to speak. God began to speak saying a few things. Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the one that formed everything to establish it. The Lord is his name. And this is what he said, call unto me and what? I'll answer. I'm going to show you some great things, some mighty things, things that you don't know anything about. God began to speak to Jeremiah while he was in prison. There's some of us that we figured by now we'd have figured out a way all this would be over. We thought by now we'd have figured out a way that we could slip out of this prison. But it just hasn't happened. You can choose to believe the power of the prison. And even if the door opens and the walls fall, if you allow the power of the prison to get in your mind, all you'll ever do is just 12 paces. You'll reach your limit and you'll say, that's all that I can do. You'll turn and walk 12 more. Because the power of the prison has overruled who you are made to be. The power of the prison has stolen your roar. But if you choose to believe that God is still speaking to me, even though I'm in prison, God still has a plan that I don't understand how it all makes sense. I don't understand how John the Baptist getting his head chopped off in prison when he was such a mighty warrior. I don't understand how all that makes sense. But you can't have church history without that line in Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. And when John showed up, everything changed. Maybe that's all John's life was supposed to be. 
But had it not been for John the Baptist, you or I wouldn't be sitting here. If it had not been for John the Baptist, who at the end of his life, sitting in a cold prison cell, wondering, did anything matter at all? Was my life just a waste? He didn't even see his own value at that point. In a prison, hearing reports of everything going on outside. But he was stuck in prison. But John, I hope you hear this right now. There's a couple of hundred people that are thankful for that voice crying in the wilderness. There's a couple of hundred people here tonight in Lexington, Tennessee are, are thankful that you told the story about one coming after you whose shoelaces you weren't worthy to, to stoop down and bear. John, because when you showed up, everything began to change. John, you may have died wondering if it really mattered, but let me tell you right now, John, the power of the promise still lives on. The power of that prison died when you did, John, but the power of that promise is still alive in 2020. Let's go back to Jeremiah sitting in a prison somewhere, hearing the word of the Lord. In verse 10, he says it this way. Again, the Lord said, in this place. What place? The place that you say is going to be desolate without a man. The place that you've said is going to be without beast. You've said the cities of Judea are going to be like this. You said the streets of Jerusalem are going to be desolate. They're going to be without man. They're going to be without inhabit, in, inhabitants. They're going to be without beast. That's what you've said is going to happen. Just to be clear, that's the place that we're talking about, Jeremiah. We're talking about that place that everybody around you is saying, it's over, it's done. Jeremiah, I want to remind you that I'm talking to you while you're in prison about a place that everybody has said is dead. But Jeremiah, in that place, it's going to be heard. What's going to be heard? Let's look now at verse 11. In that place, the voice of joy, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the voice of them that say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And of them shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. For I will cause to return the captivity of the land as at the first saith the Lord. Jeremiah, you're sitting in prison right now. In that place that everybody has said is dead. That life that everybody has said is over. I want to tell you what's going to happen there, Jeremiah. There's going to be peace. There's going to be shouts of joy. There's going to be gladness again. You can go ahead and have it right now while you're in prison if you want to, Jeremiah. The power of that prison does not stop the power of the promise. Look now at verse 12. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Again, 
in this place. Which place? He says again. A place that's desolate, without man, without beast, and all the cities thereof shall be a habitation of shepherds causing their flocks to lie down. That place that we're right now, there's not a beast, there's not a shepherd, there's nothing. But that's the place where shepherds are going to cause their flocks to lie down. In the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the valley, in the cities of the south, in the land of Benjamin, in the places about Jeremiah, in the cities of Judah, in the flocks passed again under the hands of him that telleth him, saith the Lord. Now let's look at verse 14. Behold, that day, Jeremiah, the day is coming, saith the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I've promised unto the house of Israel and to the house of Judea in those days. And at that time, In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow unto David. See, just a little while ago, Jeremiah, they were talking about in the, the city of, of David, there was going to nothing happen. But in that day, I'm going to cause the branch of righteousness to grow unto David. He'll execute judgment in the righteous land. In the those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called, the Lord, or our righteousness. For thus saith the Lord, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. Neither shall the priest of Levites want a man before me to offer burnt offerings, and to kindle meat offerings, and to do sacrifice continually Jeremiah right now you're sitting in prison and the power of the prison's working on you he's trying to wear you down he's getting you to question everything Jeremiah but I want to remind you that I made a covenant with David a long time ago I made a promise to David a long time ago that there was always going to be somebody in David's family that's going to sit on the throne. And Jeremiah, right now you're in prison. But let me remind you about that promise that I made to David. The power of my promise is greater than the power of that prison that you're sitting in. You're coming out of this, Jeremiah. There's going to be rejoicing in the city again. There's going to be shepherds walking again. There's going to be things happening again because I made a promise to David and Levites a long time ago. The power of my promise is greater than the power of that prison. Let's all stand. I'd love... It would bring me so much joy if in the next three, four minutes somebody walked up here and God not only broke but destroyed every prison that has held us bound. I'd love nothing more than for us to walk up here and every band be loose everybody walk out of here and never has to face another trouble but I've been around long enough to know that we can come in here and we can feel the presence of God we walk out of here and tomorrow morning we'll wake up and ask God why didn't it break last night And the only answer I have for you, my grace is sufficient. In your weakness, that's when you really learn to rely on me. In your weakness, 
the things you can't figure out your own, on your own, the things you can't fix yourself, that's where you learn to really depend on me. The things that don't make any sense, that's where you realize that your strength comes from me. That's why Paul could so freely write, I've been up there, I've rejoiced, and it's been wonderful, but I've also been down there. And I've just made up in my mind that whether I'm up there or whether I'm down there, I'm not gonna get too high, but I'm not gonna get beat too low either. I've just learned to be content that wherever I'm at, I'm going to be happy because His grace is sufficient. His joy remains. His mercy endures. I may bear this iniquity till kingdom comes, but when kingdom comes, I'm going to be free forever. His promise still stands. I've walked around these walls long enough, and by now I thought they'd already fall. But I'm looking, and they're still as big as they ever were. But you know where I'll be next Sunday? I'm just stubborn enough. I'm going to be back in church because His promise still stands. Come on, they're going to begin to sing it right now. to start out of that first verse. You've walked around these walls long enough and you've heard preaching and in your mind you thought by now they would have fallen. But if there's anybody honest enough, if you're bold enough to walk up here and say, hey, still in prison you know me well enough to know I'm not talking about going out and living in sin but there's some things in your mind that you hadn't been able to break free from and I don't know if you ever will but I know this his promise still stands If you'll make up your mind that it may be 12 steps, but you know what it's gonna be? At the end of that 12 steps, I'm gonna pause like David did just for a minute, and God's gonna say, God, I thank you that your grace is sufficient. I thank you that your mercy endures forever. And God, though you slay me, I'm still gonna trust. And I'm going to walk my 12 paces. And I may get to a barrier again. But you know what I'm going to do, Brother Josh? I'm going to pause for a minute. God, I thank you that your mercy endures to every generation. I thank you that you're still faithful. I thank you that someday I'll be free. I thank you, God, that you're an old-time God. I'm going to praise you just for a minute. Come on, if there's anybody bold enough tonight to say, yes, I'm still struggling, but in the middle of my struggle, I still believe. Come on, if you don't want to come to the front, that's okay. Just lift your hands right where you are.
fight's not over yet. We're almost home, but we're not there yet. In the middle of my fight, in the middle of my battle, my confidence is that you never failed me yet.
promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. Lord, I'm still in your hands. You are my confidence. 